Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. Hi, Lauren. How are you? I'm good, Tristan. How are you? I'm good. Uh, welcome, listeners, to All the Fuck In, episode three. Um, I'm your co host, Tristan, they, them pronouns. I am your other co host, Lauren. I use she and her. And today I'm going to be asking Lauren all the questions um, so we can learn a bit more about her background and her work. And I'll start by asking you to locate yourself. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is a long list of privilege. (laughs) Basically, here we go. Um, So I am a white gender woman. Um, I currently live in Denver, Colorado, which is Cheyenne and Arapaho land. I speak English as a first language. I'm a U.S. citizen by birth. I grew up in a very, um, well, a couple different, I should say, a couple different white affluent suburbs, kind of upper middle class upbringing, though my parents come from kind of mixed um, income levels, one could say, in their family background. I guess classes, I think, is that is that how you said it? Mixed class? I said mixed class, which I took I like from La Mirada ones. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay, I'm, I might start using that. Um, thank you, La Mirada. Uh, I, yeah, I'm from the Midwest, so I grew up in northern Indiana in Fort Wayne, which most people probably have not heard of, but moved down to a suburb of Indianapolis when I was 12. Um, I am a trauma survivor on many different levels, which I'm sure we'll get into because that has totally influenced so much of how I show up and the work that I do. And um, I am a highly sensitive person and sometimes wonder if that was wiring or environment or both, probably both. Um, And yeah, so when we're talking about social location, I feel like in many ways, my privilege interplayed with my trauma in 
a really supportive way, actually. Like I always had access to healthcare when I needed it. Um, I had, you know, this layer of protection from my whiteness mm. in many circumstances. Um, something we talked about in the episode where I interviewed you is like pretty privilege. I definitely get the benefit of the doubt, particularly from straight cis men. Um, although sometimes that's also made me a target in other ways. I don't know how to talk about that without sounding icky. So no, it's true. It's <laughs> both. And yeah, I'm gonna say, please collect me if I sound like an asshole. Um, what else on social location? I feel like I lose track of the many. You're able-bodied. Oh yes. Able-bodied. Although I have chronic pain. So I also have mm-hmm. some invisible illness going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, my, I'm mobile. I don't I'm have mobile. barriers yep. because of my, my body. Yeah. And let me think what else might be important to note. Um, I feel like you touched upon the like top ones that we yeah. need to consider and name and acknowledge. Um, yeah. And I appreciate you naming the ones that are like even more, um, I don't want to say invisibilized, but like we don't commonly talk about like trauma survivor as a social location point. And I think that's really important to name, especially considering the intersection of identities that we're we're each holding, right? Absolutely. Um, And there's mental illness that goes along with that. I have severe mental illness in my family. I personally have clinical depression, anxiety, like a whole checklist of fun stuff that goes on in my brain. But um, again, because of my other layers of privilege, and just generational wealth and things like that. Like I have been really shielded from some of the more dire consequences of that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Tell us your astrological signs, your sun, moon, and rising. So I think we said last time we need to make this a standard question. Yep. (laughs) I really do think we should. Yes. Um, So I'm an Aries sun, an Aquarius moon, and a Pisces rising, which means I'm a bossy, sensitive weirdo basically. Yeah. I identify with those descriptors uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like probably most people in our circles are all those things. Yeah. Seriously. So, um, yeah. And I found out, um, recently on a call, our mentor slash, uh, collaborator, I don't really know what to call her. Michelle Cassandra Johnson is also an Aquarius moon. So that made me feel extra cool. <laughs> uh, all these, all these big thinkers with unusual ideas. Yeah, totally. So I want to hear, I mean, maybe you want to start by saying, I know we've introduced ourselves and what we do in the world, but maybe start there. And then I would love to hear how you got to this moment professionally, personally. Yeah. Well, the short answer is it was not fucking linear. (laughs) Um, So currently, and and this kind of changes every couple months, it seems like uh, my entrepreneurship journey is very... uh, emergent one can say, but I am definitely a coach, um, a strategist slash consultant, um, and an anti-oppression facilitator. Uh, basically I work one-on-one and in groups with, um, people across the spectrum of activism. So folks who are like progressives running for office, uh, all the way to people who are totally brand new to social justice work, uh, and may not even identify as activists yet. Um, some of them are entrepreneurs, which is hopefully the folks who are tuning into this. Um, some are just amazing, like nine to fivers who are trying to walk the talk when it comes to justice and just living their values as they unlearn and learn how to do that. Um, 
I, oh my gosh, my undergrad is in business econ and public policy from Indiana University's Kelly School of Business, okay. which probably only means something to people who live in Indiana. <laughs> um, but it's, it's actually a really excellent business program. Uh, and I started off thinking I was going to major in vocal performance. Wow. And then, yeah. And then realized very quickly, okay, I'm better than average, but this is like a top music school and I like, I, mm -mm, this is stressful. You were, you were singing. Yeah. Yeah. Like taking voice lessons. I hadn't been accepted into the music school yet. I was planning to audition after my freshman year. So wow. I was doing all the, you know, taking French and Italian and all the stuff you have to do. And yeah, the, the lessons with a grad student. And I just, again, kind of related to trauma. I had so much shit around like my voice and self-expression mm. and especially at 18, it was just such a, loaded thing. And I even yeah. like, I would faint sometimes in my voice lessons, which now it's so obvious, like, okay, losing consciousness while using my voice. Okay. That's pretty silly as a matter Yeah. I also think that's, um, like vagal related vagus nerve yeah. related. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Were, and, and at that point I hadn't acknowledged, um, so one thing on the trauma end of things is I'm a survivor of childhood sexual assault. And what happened was something that I didn't even identify that way until I was 25. So yeah, like young little baby Lauren did not really have any connection to my body. I was so just, yeah, living in my head all the time. So, but yeah, uh, basically throughout college, I took like a short detour into thinking I'd work in fashion. And through that realized I really liked all the business classes I had to take for that. So then I just applied to the B school and got in and it was a really intense program like accounting, finance, just stuff that I look back, I'm like, how did I put myself through that? But, um, but I got a lot of really helpful skills and that degree actually gave me some um, legitimacy with people who probably would have written me off mm -hmm. later because, you know, I was very into animal rights activism. That was sort of my entree into politics, which is wow. hilarious. I mean, it's such a like white girl from the suburbs issue to get really involved and in. it's important it's totally important and I there's so many intersections but I wasn't approaching it that intersectionally back then and of course um you know gradually as I got into relationship with people different from me and I spent a semester interning on Capitol Hill for um a Democratic senator from my state I just that kind of started waking me up and especially like the 2008 election I would say got me thinking like oh okay, all these things that I was told in my schools growing up were solved, like racism and sexism and homophobia and all this stuff, like these movements are not over. And actually there are people suffering immensely right now. And so, um, and my internship was fall of 2009. So it was very early in the Obama presidency. Mm -hmm. Healthcare reform was happening. It was so, uh, such a different time, but it was a really great time to be a Democrat on the Hill. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up, I had to go back and finish my senior year. I still had some classes to knock out. I kind of chickened out of going back to DC right away and spent six months shacking up with my boyfriend at the time and smoking a lot of weed and just not, you know, being, being a, an adolescent who's yeah. also like a grown person. <laughs> exactly. Being As like we all do. Yeah. yeah. Just, just stupid shit. But I, I'm also grateful. I took that time. I was so burnt out after I graduated. I, I was a very good student, but I would push myself to like limits now that I don't think I would ever do again, yeah. um, to get that a or whatever. Um, so yeah, by the time I went back to DC, I was really ready. Um, and I got a job working for, 
what at the time people would have called a moderate Democrat. I actually think he's just very conservative. Um, I'm ashamed to say it was Joe Manchin from West Virginia who, well, he's a very nice man, has taken some really awful votes. He's actually the only Democrat who voted in favor of Brett Kavanaugh. Gross. Uh, yeah. So and also like we, especially at that age, we get opportunities. We don't yeah. always get to say like, oh no, my values don't align here. I should say no. I mean, yep. I, we're, we should be having a conversation around that. We should be taught that we can say no. Um, yeah. But the, also the nature of the economy of the professional landscape yeah. is you can't always say no. And right. In whether you have hold privileged identities or not, and especially if you don't, right? Um, so mm -hmm. I just want to name that, like, you took advantage of an opportunity that was of value to you, I imagine, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that, and I definitely still struggle, especially because I was down there, you know, in D.C. protesting the uh, yeah. week that that vote happened. I actually ended up confronting him. Um, I was so inspired by Ana Maria Archila confronting Jeff Flake that I got on a bus from New York, went down to DC and just like stalked Joe Manchin's office until I caught him. He was trying to go in the like upstairs back door to avoid press after they took a procedural vote and I stopped him. And like, I don't think he realized I wasn't the friendly, like easygoing, eager to please 22 year old anymore. I just... Yeah. So that, that was really interesting. And, um, he ended up actually sort of slowly backing away from me. It wasn't even a polite end of the conversation. He wow. was, so, he was a total fucking coward. I've lost all respect for him, but uh, yeah, I mean, getting that first job, I, I had also just recently been hit by a car when I got the job. Wow. I've had a lot of weird shit happen. Yeah. No big so deal. I was, I was definitely like not in the best place. And I had been in DC a couple months interning without making a whole lot of money. And fortunately, I mean, another, layer of privilege on in terms of like social location is I don't have any student loans. I was so lucky. My mom and stepdad and my dad paid for my undergrad degree. And, um, so if I had had student loans, I wouldn't have even been able to hold out two months, but, um, yeah, I was trying to hold out for like that perfect progressive job and it just wasn't happening. And I had connections in that office because, um, a lot of Senator Bai's staff who had interned for, um, he ended up retiring before I went back. So they were all working for, a lot of them were working for mansion by the time I got there. So yeah, I, I kind of worked my way up on the Hill for like two and a half ish years. Um, I, you know, started off answering the phones, dealing with mail, which was actually like a huge job. They, I mean, they have entire staffs of people who their whole job is not only to sort the mail, but to write form letters back on different mm -hmm. topics to make sure that if it's something like casework, you know, someone who needs advocacy, gets to the right people. So I learned a lot. Um, I ended up leaving Manchin's office after a little over a year and I got a job with a really amazing guy from Connecticut, um, Senator Richard Blumenthal, who is super, super smart, very progressive. Um, his chief of staff at the time was a former Planned Parenthood VP. So there's just so much cool. more alignment. Yeah. Um, and I, and I have to say, I loved my coworkers in both offices for the most part. I actually ended up working with really great people. My roommates were two coworkers. Um, but then, so I was working for Senator Blumenthal when the Sandy Hook shooting happened. So that was December, 2012. And at that time I had no, I had started practicing yoga and was getting more in my body, but I was also still like smoking a lot of weed and drinking, not anything more than like my coworkers, but 
I knew that I responded to alcohol a lot differently than other people. Like I would get really sad, you know, and like my dopamine levels, I'm sure were just dropping, totally depleted. Yeah. Um, so I was just run, I was like overachieving at work and then overachieving at like trying to escape my reality. And then when Sandy hook happened again, having no understanding of, um, is it called secondary trauma? When you're not, yeah, yeah. or vicarious trauma, vicarious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, so my boss, um, the senator, had actually been in Connecticut because I think it was a Friday, so he was home for the weekend, and he had actually been there with the parents when they found out that their kids wow. weren't coming home. Wow. Um, that also kicked off, as it should have, several months of really intense meetings, writing bills, trying to like advocate for policies that would make sure nothing like that could ever happen again. Um, Democrats still had a majority in the Senate, but by that point, John Boehner was in charge of the House, so nothing fucking happened. It was so heartbreaking. Um, The families would come through the office. I don't know them personally, but I would like see them from far. And again, having no understanding of what was happening in my body in response to that, I just kind of started falling apart. Um, And had had you done any processing around your childhood trauma at this point? No. So you hadn't like gone through therapy or EMDR or? No, I had sought out a counselor when I was still in Manchin's office because his chief of staff at the time who I was technically assisting was a massive asshole. Um, I wish I could say his name and not be worried about getting sued, but he would, it wasn't sexual harassment, but he was just a massive bully and Mm -hmm. just like horrific to work for. And so I sought out counseling to deal with like what I thought was to deal with my stressful job, not realizing I was completely replicating trauma in work. Um, I'd also had some like just not healthy situations with men. By that point, there wasn't any more sexual trauma in adulthood that all happened after I left DC for the most part. But um, yeah, just like, yeah, sleeping with people I shouldn't have, like, well, like we don't have great self worth when no. we go through early childhood experiences like right. that. I mean, and uh, you know, not to mention you're being raised in a misogynistic, patriarchal, yes. toxic culture in an environment that is heavily dude dominated, white cis dude dominated. Oh my god! Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and very and, and even in like. I, I kept thinking, well, I'm in the democratic spaces. So these guys must be like better. Right. And frankly, it was worse because they like have this cover of, well, I'm like progressive and I was a feminist in college. And it's like, no, but you're actually still a dick. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I just, yeah. And there was like this older guy who sort of like, just wasn't that great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just when I look back, I'm like, oh, it's so obvious, like what I was struggling with, but I just, at the time was not ready to feel that. So, um, but then, so the summer of 2013, I signed up to do a yoga teacher training with yoga district, shout out to yoga district. They're amazing. Charlie, um, our friend who's going to be on the podcast soon also trained with them a couple years later, which is so ironic world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they are very much a trauma informed space. There was a lot of activism elements that came into it, which is part of why I wanted to train with them. And there was a woman in my training who told a story of being sexually abused by a cousin when she was younger. And she didn't go into a lot of detail, but under starting to like wrap my mind around what coercion looks like, what grooming looks like, just, and, and then, you know, that combined with being in my body all weekend, every weekend for an entire summer, 
kind of just broke me, <laughs> like in, in a good way. I in mean, a, I think, in a needed way. Yeah. In a needed way. Yeah. So, and then my, my grandmother died, um, that July, I went back for a funeral. And then when I got back to DC, I just did not give a shit about my job. I mean, I cared very much about the issues by that point I had worked up to like a legislative aid and I was, you know, right, helping to write bills and advocating for things to get passed. Um, there are some things on the book, uh, like laws on the books now that I had a hand in. And I'm so oh, proud of sorry. that. And I'm so grateful, but I just, I couldn't function anymore. And, um, I was smoking a lot more weed, just self-medicating. Um, a lot of my friendships kind of started crumbling because I just couldn't like deal couldn't with deal. People. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure I wasn't very fun to be around and, um, yeah. And I'd gone through like a breakup. It was just a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so I decided, I'm like, okay, I'm 25. I can be on my mom's health plan until I'm 26. Mm. I'm going to quit my job, move home to Indiana and just like teach yoga and work retail. And so that's- Were you like, and take care of myself? Or was that like a a side note? (laughs) It wasn't intentional. I knew I needed a break. I knew I didn't want to get like another political job, at least not yet. My self-esteem was pretty down because- um, as great as the Senator was for a while, there was a legislative director who was like my direct supervisor, who was just a sexist piece of shit. He ended up getting fired, but so he had been pretty hard on me. And I just, I took it all as like, I'm bad at my job. I don't know. It was a lot of just my own shit. Um, and so I, mean, I say yet only because I identify with that. Yeah. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause I think in some way it's your brain trying to make sense of a situation that can't make sense. It's like, well, if it's my fault, then that means I can control something and I can prevent this from happening again. Yeah. I also think when we're, um, told at a young age through action, um, not, you know, overtly through words, but through action and behavior that our needs or our presence is of less worth or doesn't matter or is one that doesn't require, you know, consent or, you know, isn't worthy of respect or consideration or sensitivity or love or, you know, fill in the blank, all the things, then like we continue to like that groove gets established in our brains and then we keep reinforcing it through future relationships. Right. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. I look back on the men I dated in my twenties. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I, I feel baby. that so deeply. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially, yeah. and I know we've talked a little bit about this off mic, but it's like then looking at our dating lives now, it's such a 180. Thank God. Thank God. Um, but my God, did it take so long yes. to get here? And yeah. not to say like, oh, great. Now we're done. We're healed. Right. That's yeah. ongoing. I mean, that would be nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, learning to like, it's cheesy and cliche, but learning to love yourself is really fucking hard. Oh, and then learning to believe that you are deserving to be loved and of love is really fucking hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, it's funny too. I had a conversation with, um, this woman, Rachel, who kind of mentored me. She, I, I love her. Um, we, we aren't in touch a whole lot anymore, but, um, she was like a very bright spot in that job. We sat down and had coffee and I was like, you know, I just have this fantasy of starting a blog and being a yoga teacher. And she's like, Mm. it sounds like you're burning out. (laughs) But I, I think even then I had this like entrepreneurial spark of, I mean, all the way back in 2010, when I had graduated and was just kind of hanging out, working for the university and getting high with my boyfriend all the time, I would like read all these entrepreneur blogs. There's a woman, Michelle Ward, who's now my business coach. Um, 
like I've been following her journey of entrepreneurship from the beginning. And so I, I think even then it's like, there was a wise part of me that knew I can't really work for other people. It's that Aries thing. Yeah. And the fact that you were like, I want to be a yoga teacher and start a blog for a while. Like you also had that like creative inclination too, which I think is so key in entrepreneurship, like having creativity, wanting to create, feeling inspired, feeling engaged, you know? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, okay. So you, you moved back home to take care of yourself. So that wasn't clearly the like uh-huh. top priority. And you decided to pursue yoga teaching and creating a blog. Tell us like what that looked like. Yeah. Tell us what that time was like. Well, it was, it was really scary. Honestly, like I had, there were people close to me in my life who were like, what the fuck are you doing? Cause mm-hmm. most people who leave a job on the Hill, they go to like Harvard law or they go right. lobby and make a shitload of money. And I'm like, I'm going to move home to Indiana and just hang out for a little bit. Um, But I mean, I loved teaching. I I no longer do. I don't know if that's like really my calling or the space I should take up as a white person. I'm really Mm -hmm. struggling with whether I'm appropriation of yoga. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Yoga is it's, it's a whole thing. However, it was so healing for me and like, I loved making playlists and I did have a blog for a hot second And then that older guy I dated in DC who I hadn't had any contact with in a long time started like posing as friends and family and commenting on it. And I only realized it because someone was creating fake emails to do it. And they were all going back to the same US Senate IP address, which is really fucking creepy. And he's a moron for doing it on a government computer. Yeah, It's a very long story, but basically like reporting didn't really do anything. I ended up, I would never do this now, but at the time I just shut down the blog. I'm like, okay, like that's it. Um, and then you I keeping yourself safe as best as you knew how yeah, at the time. Yeah. yeah. I was just, yeah. cause I was like, okay, I knew he was an asshole, but now he's a creep. Yep. Like, is he going to come to Indiana and like try to find me? I just, I got really freaked out. And the police, when I reported were like, well, you should make all your social media private da, 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 da. and like all the stuff they tell you to do. And sorry, I realize I know this is also. No, you are good. Yeah, okay. I I also have similar experiences that yeah. Lauren's describing. I've referred to them a bit in my in the last episode, and mm-hmm. I think it's really great that we keep talking about it to yes. the extent that we are both comfortable to do so yeah. because it's all too common um, for women and those assigned female at birth, and obviously yep. not just women um, yes. to experience this. And yeah, what you're talking about about like. We'll just keep your social media private. It's like, yeah, but then we're silencing ourselves or we're making ourselves smaller so that we can ostensibly be safer. And yet the violent, harmful, stalking, harassing behavior doesn't necessarily stop. So no, no. Well, and with this person, I think it did from what I remember. I think he tried to friend me on Facebook or something not long after that. But, but then I very shortly after that, um, so like 2014, I was still working retail. I was dating this new guy. And then I, um, I did off the mat into the world's like intensive, which if anyone's done that, you know, the first four or five days are all about trauma. And I was like, oh fuck. So Sean Korn has a very similar story to mine. She was one Mm. of the facilitators and she's just very grounded and has clearly done a lot of her own healing around it. Um, and so hearing her talk about being sexually abused as a child, just broke something open in me. And that's when I started um, telling people close to me. So I told, and using that language to describe what happened to me. So I told my boyfriend at the time, I didn't tell anybody else in my life yet. 
I very quickly after that jumped into a really intense, really unhealthy job working for a local campaign in Indianapolis um, that I've, I've posted very publicly about this, but basically like really unhealthy dynamic with me and the campaign manager. Um, the, the now mayor is also just not a nice guy. Um, and so I very quickly after, well, not very quickly, but a few months into that exited, uh, quit, which I had never quit a job without sort of finishing the job. If that makes sense. Like when I left the Hill, I'd been there a few years. I like, yeah. yeah, yeah. But this one, like I started having OCD symptoms that I'd never had before. Crazy intrusive thoughts. Um, I had started another new relationship. So there's clearly a pattern here where I just, yeah. We all have them. (laughs) So I was with um, this person who ended up being a very long, very serious relationship. And so I was kind of navigating that. And then all of the trauma stuff on top of that, I just sort of fell apart again. Yeah. and so, and for the first time had suicidal thoughts, like no, um, just, I think they call it just ideation. I didn't have any plan or anything, but that right. was enough to get my attention of like, oh fuck, I need to really take this seriously. So I finally told my mom what happened to me as a kid. Um, that kicked off a lot of rifts in my family for a long I time bet. over how people processed in their own time with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I became like, I, by the way, I realize now this was supposed to be me talking about my entrepreneurship journey and it's basically like my recovery. <laughs> well, I'm sure the two intersect and overlap and like, you know, you wouldn't be here having professional success. I will call it success um, without having done the work that you've done to heal. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, this is all helpful. And I'm just realizing like, we need to throw a little like content warning on our episodes. Yeah, we totally (laughs) should. We're going to talk about the real shit and it might be hard and I want people to take care of themselves. So I'll, we'll make sure we add that, but I want you to keep going and keep speaking to what comes through you, you know? Yeah. I'm always so mindful. Like even when I write my newsletter, I'm so transparent about stuff because I do feel like at this point I have enough healing under my belt, enough space from it, enough understanding that I can talk about it without re-traumatizing myself. But sometimes yeah. I wonder if I sound like I'm just sharing from some open gaping wound, you know, cause I definitely see that around the internet. Sometimes I'm like, Oh honey, like, please go talk to a therapist. <laughs> I know seriously. Well, um, I, I just feel like this is important to share. Um, yeah. and our journeys, you know, as we've been talking about too, our journeys aren't just like well, I got this degree and then I got this job and then I became, you know, a business owner. It's like, there's so much in between that is so personal and we can't separate the two. And to me, that is also part of what this podcast is about. So, you know, and we also say that we want to have real, authentic, transparent conversations, which is exactly what we're doing. (laughs) So also thank you for your vulnerability. Um, and keep sharing whatever you feel compelled. Well, thanks. Um, well, yeah. So, I mean, after I quit the campaign, I ended up getting a fundraising gig with, um, a Planned Parenthood affiliate. So like the Indiana, Kentucky affiliate, um, and spent like a good nine months sort of slowly falling apart again. (laughs) And, um, I had, that was like one of my first long intentional stints of sobriety thinking I could do it on my own. Cause that's, that's a lot of people's journey. Like, oh, well, if I can stop on my own, I don't have a problem. But I totally had a problem. And it was actually with weed, of all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like it was so tricky because there's this myth in the culture that marijuana is not addictive. 
but I'm sorry, if your tolerance is building up to a substance, it's definitely addictive. All the behavior and ritual that went along with it was addictive. Um, it was my way of just like dealing with being in my body day to day. And it also kind of kept me numb to some dynamics in that partnership I was in. Um, by that point we had moved in together that were really unhealthy. Um, and actually this week was the first time I heard a therapist refer to it as domestic violence, Mm -hmm. which is not a term I had given it yet. So that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's definitely something I'm still processing through, but, um, so 2016 rolls around. Um, I started this, I mean, I loosely called an organization, but basically a campaign to try to get, um, yoga practitioners and teachers registered and engaged around voting. Um, back in early 2016, there were very few people who really cared or prioritized that. It's so funny. Cause now, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but we're seeing all these new people engaged, which is beautiful, but also I'm like, where the fuck were you? Have you <laughs> been? Like, yeah, like, and, I mean, we also need to acknowledge that like, uh, we haven't like clearly Sean Korn and the folks at Off the Mat have been doing this work yes. at the intersection of yoga and, and politics or social justice for a long time. The conversation feels like it's now taking off in a new way for yes. a myriad of reasons. And, um, you know, historically speaking in most yoga spaces, this wasn't something that was discussed, right? Like oh. politics have kept, have been kept separate. We have um, silenced and quieted that part of the conversation. We focused on the spiritual practice, quote unquote. And like, you know, I was mm-hmm. just reading through um, Michelle Cassandra Johnson's book, Skill in Action. And she's talking so much about this and about how um, in the spiritual spaces, we're all prioritizing like our personal growth and healing without recognizing that the personal is political and yes. that we can't do one without the other. So, I mean, Absolutely. it's amazing by the way, cause in 2016, I think I was just starting to understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked a bit, a bit about this in the last episode about like my yoga and social justice teacher training and that things of that nature. But the fact that you were like initiating some of this, mm-hmm in 2016 is like really inspiring to me and makes sense given your professional background and the fact that you had spent so much time in these political spaces that like, of course you were tying the two together, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'm so glad you said that acknowledgement piece because the reason I did the off the mat training was because I had heard about yoga votes back in, I want to say 2012, um, which, um, someone we've both worked for Carrie Kelly was the one who initiated that. And I, I don't know if it was a campaign of off the mat or if it was separate at the time, but it was sort of the precursor to what's now citizen. Well, mm-hmm. um, which is the organization we've both done work for in the past. And so, yeah. And I actually didn't even know anything about Carrie at the time. I just knew there was this thing called yoga votes. And so, yeah, late 2015, early 2016, I started bringing together a local version of that. And I should be, I want to be clear too, when I say like, there weren't that many people engaged, at least not in Indianapolis. Like I knew around the country, there were other people. And that was when I started plugging in with Citizen Well a little bit more because I realized they existed Mm -hmm. and their organizer reached out and was like, oh, hey, like we're actually trying to get people around the country to do exactly what you're doing. Um, And so through that, like I ended up doing a training with Citizen Well that summer, um, and then I had, so I actually got fired from my job at Planned Parenthood. I know I've never wow. been fired from anything. Rebel. In my life. <laughs> well, kind of. It was actually like 
a little bit fucked up. Like basically um, there was this big gala fundraiser event. I was on the fundraising team. I was also starting to really like fall apart that spring. <laughs> so my mental health was not great. And um, I knew at that fundraiser, I'd have to see the mayor and his now chief of staff who was the guy who sexually harassed me on the campaign. Mm-hmm. And I'd also have to see both of their wives which was also like a loaded thing. So I basically like I showed up to uh, like, I parked my car the day of that event. I think it was a Saturday. I'm like all dressed up. And I just had like a huge panic attack in my car. I couldn't go in. I texted the person who, by the way, this is totally me relitigating something that I feel like was really unfair. Cause I did tell, I told the event coordinator, like, I'm so sorry, here's the deal. I worked for this guy. It was bad. I can't go in there. Um, she understood, but then my supervisor who wasn't my biggest fan because of our work styles, um, apparently was pissed. I didn't tell her. So I show up or no, I log into my computer Monday morning and realize I don't have access to my email. Wow. <laughs> so I thought that I was fired. Wow. Yeah. And like looking back, it probably, it was time to go. I had already like created a website and had started doing some, like, I mean, I, by that point I'd been teaching in yoga studios for a while. I had other work going on outside of my nine to five. So it was okay, but it was very painful. It was like the day before my birthday birth shit came up. I was like, Oh my God, I actually am a piece of shit. Like I really can't do this. Um, yeah, it's like something I still like, don't share that widely about. This is like the most publicly I've shared about getting fired. If anyone else has been fired, I know it's a kick in the nuts for lack of a better term, but you know, it's, I I don't know. I look back now. I see it was the universe, like self-correcting a situation. Totally healthy and not good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so self-esteem is at an all-time low, basically between all the trauma and that I had also started somatic experiencing therapy, which had helped, but then like being high all the time, wasn't really like conducive to actual growth and healing. (laughs) Yeah. Being in an abusive relationship, there were just like a lot of things. And then my ex partner at at the time, he was my committed live-in partner. Um, he got laid off. So then we decided to move to New York at the end of the year. Um, I, really, I feel like I keep saying I fell apart, but I mean, that's like what it feels like. I just feel like I broke into all these different pieces and got even more fragmented as the election got closer that year. Cause then the access Hollywood tape came out. Some of the language that he used about women in there were things that my abusers abuser had said, um, when I was a kid and there were just, yeah, a lot of things that around sexual violence specifically that, I just couldn't really process. Um, So I moved to New York November 10th, 2016, two days after. Yeah. And it was actually sort of beautiful. Like people were being very gentle with each other. It was like, it's how I've heard the aftermath of 9-11 described. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was also, I was in so much personal pain and, you know, trying to like make things work with this partner and and trying to find work. I ended up working um, retail for a while um, and quickly started working for Citizen Well instead of just being like part of their community. Um, and so I was going to like all the protests, you know, never sober pretty much. I was always at least a little bit high because I just literally couldn't function yeah. without it. Um, I felt like I was just over-functioning. I, that was definitely like a workaholic phase. I had all these gigs. I felt like my work was actually still really good. I mean, I, I was, I was functional. Um, 
And then uh, all the Me Too stuff hit <laughs> like that fall. And, um, and I had also been trying to report um, the cyber stalker guy, um, the sexual harassment on the campaign guy. I tried to report um, this yoga teacher who had sexually assaulted me and I knew had done that to other women. Um, and then I also finally stopped being the secret keeper in my family. And I told some extended family members who I knew had small children not to be around this one particular person. Then that person ended up taking his own life mm-hmm. right around the time all the Me Too stuff started. So wow. there was like this crazy breakdown in my family, breakdown in like the collective consciousness, yeah. <laughs> breakdown like in my body. Um, and so I tried again to get sober on my own. Um, I had a two month like communications fundraising contract. That was a lot of the work I was doing. It was interesting. Like I, even though I wanted to coach and do all this more, you know, um, relational stuff, I was, I kept finding myself in fundraising communications kind of Mm -hmm. roles. Um, and then had 2018 was just kind of a shit show. I, (laughs) I was desperately searching for work in New York. Um, I was still doing a lot of pro bono stuff because I was fortunate slash unfortunate that I was financially dependent on my ex at the time, my partner. Um, And yeah, it was interesting. I feel like similar to getting fired, it was the universe being like, nope, like you are not going back to an office. This is not your thing. Um, And But the work that kept coming up was freelance stuff. And so I just kind of gradually kept building it. Um, I ended up getting sober for good, God willing, in June 2018 um, and, you know, did the 12-step thing, got real help um, and things started getting so much better after that, like mm-hmm. obviously. Um, I, you know, I finally got enough work under my belt that I was like sort of doing okay and, but at the end of the year, I found out about some pretty intense like violations of trust in my relationship. Um, he had been cheating on me, but also sort of like telling people we were broken up and he had a new girlfriend. Oh God. Uh, I know it was such a mind fuck. Cause like I, by that point I was so isolated from all of the people in my life and in his life that like he, to- he could completely get away with that. Do whatever the hell he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Like people didn't know we were living together, going to therapy, all this stuff. Wow. Uh, it was so crazy. And you know, there, there had also been some non-consensual shit that had gone on shortly before I got sober. So it was also like processing that on top yeah. of the old stuff. It, it was, it was just a lot. Um, yeah. and again, I'm mindful of not sounding like I'm sharing from a gaping wound, like I'm really okay. But all of this stuff was so impactful to me, like taking care of myself financially too. So I ended up, I decided because I didn't want to have to desperately take whatever full-time job I could get, I decided to leave New York and just kind of keep pursuing the entrepreneurship stuff. Um, And so I came back to Indiana, stayed with friends for a while, then found my own place. And that was when I finally started calling myself a coach because I felt like, okay, like I'm in a stable place. I can actually hold space for others. Um, I was still doing some like comms, fundraising, organizing, training stuff and teaching yoga, but it was like the coaching thing I really wanted to just go all in on, all the fuck in on. (laughs) And yeah, so I spent a lot of last year just doing business building stuff, listening to all those podcasts by cis white women (laughs) talking about marketing. Um, And again, some of it's helpful. Some of it really wasn't. Uh, And 
through that process just met and deepened relationships I already had with some really awesome collaborators. I, um, my friend Meg Bellavo and I, uh, kind of helped create a coaching program for candidates who are part of the Slate at Brand New Congress last fall. Um, I still coach a couple of folks from there and they're just amazing, amazing people. Uh, and now Meg and I have like our own little brand where we're not little, our own brand, big brand. Own it, um, own it. <laughs> Uh, we're working with um, women and femmes who are running for office um, and embracing progressive policies. Um, did I say that right? Women and femmes. I'm like, I don't you know. know. I'm struggling with this myself because like. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so, so yeah, I feel like, and this is something I'm trying to help my clients too. My clients are often like, well, how do I word that this class or this workshop is for these people? And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't feel represented by the word femme. Like some people right. might associate me with femness, but I don't know that I identify as femme. So like, am I one of your potential clients? Like, it's such yeah. a very tricky thing. There's no easy way to say like, this is for women and assign female at birth people and femmes and right. people who identify as like, I'm, I'm sure there are people who are more um, further along in this work than I am, who probably have much more um, wisdom to offer on how we mm -hmm. word these things. But I'll just say like, I think you're doing great. I think like, <laughs> you know, like, like women and femmes is a common phrase that we are seeing. And I think it does get the point across that like myself as someone who's assigned female at birth would be included in that audience. Like, gotcha. I do think you're giving that, that across, you know, you're okay. articulating that message. Yeah. Now I'm thinking, I want to like revisit a lot of our website copy for it's called women forward coaching. Like even the name of it has women in it. So I don't know. It's so, it's so it's messy. very tricky. And I will also yeah. say, I reached out to a business um, coach consultant recently who I thought I might want to learn from. And she said that on her website, that her work is for women. And so I emailed her and I said, Hey, I don't identify as a woman. Am I someone who you like, who your offerings would be, you know, tailored for, well suited for Would I benefit? Am I included in your audience? Mm -hmm. And she was just like, yes, I am so sorry. I need to update my website. It is long overdue. Like we we are all in the process of learning and deepening our understanding around gender and how to talk about gender and how to like concisely speak about these things. So, yeah. you know, I hear you. It's tricky because I also hear that you probably do want to work primarily with women and you want to be inclusive to people who don't identify yeah. as women. Yeah. I mean, basically we don't want to work with cis men. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Basically it's like our offerings are for everyone who is not a cis man. Like, yeah, I mean, basically. Yeah. Um, so one day we'll figure out the perfect word that encapsulates right. all of these things. But in the meantime, and, and I appreciate your generosity with like sharing all that too. Thank you. Cause yeah, yeah. It's, it's this, this, and this is so much of what comes up um, for us when we think about this podcast, like this work is so messy and it's emerging and it's evolving. And like, you might think, you know, the, you know, capital R right way to do something and you, but it's going to change in a couple of weeks. So exactly. But, that, but I think that's the skill you can build is how to roll with that and just kind of keep evolving with it. Totally. Um, and the like speaking more, um, less concisely and like naming yeah. more specifically and, you know, whatever is needed. But I want to go back to where we were, which was saying, you were saying mm -hmm. that you founded this um, coaching collaboration with a colleague of yours, Women Forward yeah. Coaching. 
Yeah. 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 And so Meg and I started and, and that the brand happened more recently, like this year, but yeah, we started collaborating on some coaching stuff for brand new Congress. She's really taken the lead on that, um, much more than I have, but, um, through her, like definitely built up my confidence, but like, Oh, I kind of know what I'm doing. And especially working with those political clients, I was like, Oh, like I'm actually kind of good at this. Mm. Um, I'm seeing progress happen. I'm getting good feedback. I started working with other one-on-one clients outside of the political space, but who are still politicized people. Um, you know, one of my clients, she's a, a white woman who's a therapist and trying to bring more of those values into her work um, or, and, and create programs. Um, our friend, Charlie, who again, is going to be on the podcast. Um, she and I started collaborating on, we weren't calling it, a, it this at the time, but basically like anti-oppression workshops and, and conversations and um, and she kind of dragged me this year <laughs> into, um, in a very positive way, um, co-leading this anti-racism course that we're doing with wellness folks. Um, I, I was very hesitant because understandably there are folks of color in movement work and in anti-oppression work who don't think white folks should lead it ever. Right. Um, Charlie and I feel it's, it's in relationship. There's a role for a white facilitator. We've talked about this too. There are things I can say with my layers of privilege that she, she can say, but that will be taken differently. Right. Um, so yeah, all of this in the last year, year and a half has been very organic. And um, like I've started running group programs around like purpose and personal power and um, ritual now, which is like, I'm really embracing all of this esoteric witchy stuff now. And, um, and that's by the way, thanks to our friend, Dajay James, who you should totally hire. Yes. Uh, yes. Shout out to Dajay. We will also be trying to have Dajay on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I just, through all these different spaces I've worked in, I've just come across some of the coolest fucking people. Um, and and whether they're clients or just people I collaborate with or people I who are just playing in the same sandbox, so to speak, I, I just, sometimes I kind of can't believe I get to do this and that I make money doing this. And I, I don't know. I mean, 2020 has been such a shit show in so many ways um, for so many people, but I, I have managed to make things work and I have actually quit to um, like retainer gigs. I'm no longer doing any fundraising. I'm no longer doing any communications. I'm not working for anyone else except for my clients, like my coaching and facilitating and, and like those kind of folks. So it's, it's terrifying. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's, it's really beautiful at the same time. Yeah. I feel that too. It really resonates with me. That feeling that like, I can't believe I'm here making this thing happen. Like, yeah. Like, like we're we, podcasting. I know. Like if I all, I keep saying like, if you had told me a year ago that I'd have a podcast, if you told me a year ago that I'd be teaching workshops, like I, what? I, yeah. <laughs> I, it's amazing. So You've done a lot of growing. Um, you've done a lot of work. Uh, and, and I want to hear, you've you'd shared a little bit about this on social media recently. And I want to hear, like, considering the amount of trauma that you um, have carried in your body, um, mm-hmm. considering the amount of moments in or the, the moments in your life that you've, like, broken down or um, gotten messy, um, and, you know, getting sober and like, it's, there's a lot of, um, it sounds like ups and downs in your Mm -hmm. history. I would love to hear about like how you're caring for yourself these days in this moment. I would love to hear about how you care for yourself as an entrepreneur and how you're cultivating a work-life balance right now and what that looks like. 
Oh, that's such a great question. Now I'm like, did I ask you that when we recorded? Well, I mean, maybe we'll go back and talk about it in yeah. a future episode. Like maybe we need to have like a series of episodes about self-care and work-life balance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I just love that like that was what came to me while you were talking was like, you know how to show up for yourself now. Like, yes, you did all the hard work to get here to be able to hold space for others, as you said, like a couple of years ago when you were like, I'm okay enough. Like now yeah. I can do this. Like, so yeah. you must have developed, you know, and you, you've referred to like ritual and esoteric tools. Like I would love to hear about, yeah, what it all looks yeah. like for you. Well, first is that I have a daily commitment to recovery. Like I will never question the decision um, to stop escaping my reality with alcohol or drugs or fill in the blank, whatever it was. Um, and part of that commitment too is like a just a constant <laughs> like work in progress on healthy boundaries, healthy relationships, all of that stuff, which honestly, I don't think I'm that unusual. I don't think it's just folks in long-term recovery who need that work. Like our culture rewards codependency, our culture rewards self-sacrifice, especially from yep. folks who were assigned female at birth. Yep. I was told for so long that my purpose was to serve. Like, fuck that. Yep. My purpose yep. is to just like live and be a joyful human being yep. and serving is part of my joy, but like, that is not my purpose here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say that's, that's the first part. And that looks like, you know, just basic shit. Like if I have to pee, I go pee. I don't, you know, I don't put off my own needs. I, I say no to a lot of stuff and that's still uncomfortable. I mean, it's, um, it's a practice, right. Yeah. And like, I'm not always great at it. Uh, but like, yeah, even just like letting go of, of some gigs recently, that was, that was a practice and saying no for me of like, this isn't working for me anymore. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I journal, I pull tarot, I do that kind of ritualistic stuff. Um, I have crystals and candles and things that, you know, four-year-old me would have been like, oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I have a very supportive community around me. Um, and you know, it's funny, like when I first got sober, um, well, I should say most recently got sober a couple more than a couple of years ago. Um, I was like, okay, I need to have sober friends and like, those mm. need to be my primary. And, and that's just not been the case. Like a few friendships did end like longer term friendships that just, you know, it's interesting when you get healthier, sometimes you become a little bit more of a mirror for people's stuff. Um, yeah. So, and they don't want to see it. Yeah. 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 And that was also, that's part of an anti-racist journey too. Like starting yep. to trying to call in people who I loved very much, which is why I even tried to call them in, um, ended some, some relationships. And that was yeah. very painful last year. Um, but at the same time, like now the people I'm close with and the people I invest energy into are healthier. Um, they're on their own kind of unlearning and learning journeys. And, um, that also goes for like the people I spend time with romantically, which yeah. is a newer thing. Lately, I took a, a nice long break after, after that last situation. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I would say it's a combination of like just those basic practical things that I do, the rituals, the relationships. Um, I mean, I, I have a great therapist. I worked with um, a coach, Sarah Kessner, for like three years. We only recently ended because it just things were full circle and you know we were both ready for that um 
I love her. And yeah, so my new therapist, we're doing EMDR, which is, yeah, it's, it's been really great. She's so gentle. We're not going too deep, too fast. Um, I moved to Denver a couple months ago, which my mental health has gotten so much better out of, after getting out of Indiana. I mean, Indiana is great. I love my home state. I love Indianapolis. I love a lot of people there and I am not built to live in the Midwest. (laughs) I'm just not, I need different weather, different culture. I, and and I have so much baggage there. Like I would run into my ex's ex-girlfriend every once in a while. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody needs that. Yeah. Living in the town run by the mayor who I can't fucking stand. Like there were just I just needed some space. Yeah. Um, so Denver's been great. Um, even during COVID, like I, I'm really enjoying living here. And I also, I mean, I take medication. I gave myself about a year into recovery before I went back on it, but yeah, I definitely need it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, one thing I recently tried, I've been trying to be more consistent with is rituals or practices to start and end the day and to start and end my work day. Cause what I used to do, and maybe you relate to this is I would sort of just keep working <laughs> all night. I would like watch a few episodes of something and like answer some emails and then go do something else and then work on a post or something. And I just, I can't do that anymore. I need mm-hmm. like clear boundaries around when I'm on and when I'm not, when my bra is on, I'm working. <laughs> when my bra comes off, I am not working. I love that. Yeah. Um, or like there's a coffee shop about a block away from where I live and they have a patio and it's been nice enough out that I can go sit outside, you know, and just have a change of scenery. So that really helps me remind my brain. Okay. Like work mode, not work mode. Yeah. Um, and I also, I don't work, you know, full days. Like I work four or five hours a day, sometimes less. And sometimes I'll work on like a Saturday or a Sunday when I feel like it, I just sort of give myself a lot of spaciousness. Yeah. Um, And that's easier to do the more consistently I take care of myself and meditate and do all that other stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I feel like, um, I'm really struggling in COVID to create that container around when I'm working and when I'm not. Um, I think, you know, I was really dependent on like dinners with friends as a social outlet. And now that that's not available, um, you know, I end up on the couch watching a TV show, creating a website, which is, you know, multitasking can be great. And right. I'm not saying that I'm always overextending myself um, or compromising myself in some way. And I recognize that, like, if I do that day in, day out for seven days in a row and I'm not giving myself a full day off or I'm checking my email every day or I, like, it's just, it's exhausting. And I'm really struggling with that right now. Like, I don't know that I'm fully acknowledging it because I'm also kind of attached to it. Like I'm creating so much, like, you know what Uh I mean? It's terrible because it's really draining me. And I find that like, I get to a moment where I'm, you know, committed to something. Like I just co-taught a workshop with some friends last weekend and it was three hours long from four to 7 PM on a Saturday. And it was amazing. Like it was so good. And in the second half, I was burnt out. Like, I couldn't show up fully because I'm not taking care of myself as much as I should be. And I like, I think that that's COVID. I think it's, you know, 
um, like my work is my outlet in some ways. Um, and I think it's, you know, one of the challenges of running your own business and reporting to yourself is, is yeah. like, we need to be firm with our boundaries, as you're saying, like, mm-hmm. so I'm going to, um, osmotically absorb some of your <laughs> spaciousness and, um, keep you in my awareness as I move into the next part of my week so that I can hopefully not overwork myself. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, another thing I've had to do too, is make sure that I have space between meetings. Like I go back to back, I start to sound like, like I can't form words. I can't focus. I'm just not, there's like no point in me even having a call because I can't be there for it. Um, So yeah, I, I, and, and by the way, this is like an imperfect practice, right? Like I totally watch the office for three hours while I work on (laughs) emails. Yeah. 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 But the, the stuff I find that like, or when it comes to content creation, at least the things I put out there that resonate with people the most, or that seem to, um, are things that just come up like yesterday, the email I sent out about rituals and trauma and justice that came to me while I was meditating. Right. Or like if I take a shower, I always want to have like a podcast on or something. But if I don't do that, that's when ideas happen. Like yeah. spirit works through us that way. I, I fully believe that our intuition is so wise. It's in there. That's why I'm a coach. I mean, my whole job is to help people connect with that wisdom inside um, and so much of the practice, um, actually Nikki Myers says mm. this all the time, founder of yoga of 12 step recovery. It's like her job is just to get out of the, out way, of the way of the work. Um, and that's so hard to remember because we're so conditioned the opposite direction of to make it happen. Totally. Yeah. Oh, it's so tricky. Um, and I, I have to say too, like having a mentor like Michelle helps me remember that too. Cause I mean, if you email Michelle Cassandra Johnson, you're going to get an automated response. It's like, I get a lot of emails. It's going to take me a little bit to get back to you. Yep. Like those kinds of boundaries are so important, especially if, when I see someone operating at a level like what she is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really inspiring to me too. So. Yeah. I really feel you on the like, the need to give yourself space so that yeah. the um, creative inspiration, idea, whatever can come through you. Like it's mm-hmm. not going to come through me when I'm working myself from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. and then taking a break and then sitting on the couch to do more work. Like, no. yeah. And I like, I also like, I feel like I've been in kind of a slump. Like I go through ups and downs as far as my inspiration goes. I'm sure we all do. And, mm-hmm. you know, this morning I got up for the first time in months but when it was still dark out. I've like, and I did a yoga practice and I sat and when I was done, I was like, okay, now I know what I want to say today on Instagram. Oh, like, I love well, that. Yeah. And yeah. I just feel like, like usually it's dog walks for me, like taking my dog for a long walk in the middle of the day. I will, that's when the idea comes, you know? Um, but yeah, it's not going to come if I'm filling every single inch of my time. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to feel connected. I'm not going to feel effective. Like you were saying, we're going to lose our words. We're going to lose the things we want to say, the way that we can each make an impact on, on our work and the people that we're supporting. Yeah. Totally. And you know, something else I always think back to, cause I know both of us do a ton of writing in our jobs and I don't know if you would call yourself a writer. I think you're a writer. Oh, I like that. I'm a writer. Yeah. Yeah. I recently put it in my Instagram bio. I'm like, I'm claiming this. Um, if it's on Instagram, it's real. Then it's real. Yep. <laughs> um, but, um, AOC had some Instagram stories like probably a year ago where she, people were asking her, how do you speak 
how do you do such a great job at public speaking? How is it so natural for you? And she was explaining how she, she sometimes takes notes, but she usually isn't like scripted, which is amazing. And she said, it's because she reads a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, she, she, she opens herself up to receive stuff too. And I'm like, yeah, duh. Like, of course, people who generate beautiful things are taking in beautiful things, even just like on a life level. I mean, I, again, I took that long break from dating. I recently, like in the last month started doing that again. And there's, I mean, I'm not saying everyone needs to have a partner or whatever to have creativity, but there's definitely a new like layer to how I approach other things too, because there's some, there's a reminder of another part of myself. That's like part of my own wholeness that's happening now. Um, so I don't know. I just think like the more well-rounded we can be as human beings, the more impactful our work is as entrepreneurs, as activists. I mean, I think too about all this movement for, um, like the nap ministry, I'm sure some folks. Oh, yes. I can't remember the woman's name though, who runs that account. It's so terrible. I just heard her name mentioned. I think it's, I want to say Trisha and now I'm going to feel like an asshole if I'm getting it wrong, but we'll look it up. We'll, we will look it up. And I just heard Michelle on her podcast having this exact conversation with somebody else who was like, I love the Nat Ministry. What is her work? And Michelle knew her name immediately. I was like, oh God, we all need to remember that. Her work is so amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I, I know that it's geared toward um, communities of color, I think for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I also, I've seen her post and be clear, like, but also everyone fucking needs to just rest. Like, yeah, it's so cheesy that old saying, like you can't pour from an empty cup. Like you really can't. You really can't. Yeah. 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 So, well, can I ask you the same question? Like what, so it sounds like the ring fencing of work time is not easy for you, but like what, besides dog walks, like what else are you doing to take care of yourself? Um, pre COVID I was going to yoga classes several times a week. Um, mm. and that was lighting me up. Um, mm. Since we're all now on Zoom, I'm really struggling to feel enthused by the physical practice of yoga. Like, I still find value in it. I still need to do it. I'm just not doing it as consistently. And I'm really grieving that loss because it really does feel like an enormous loss in some ways in my life. Um, So... On the other hand, in COVID, I've become much more consistent with my meditation practice. Um, and that is something that I, like, I think I'm 200 days into, like, wow, like, no day off, you know, um, which is a big deal for me. Like, yeah. I've always had, I've, not always, but, like, I've meditated consistently for, like, four or five years now. But, like, I'd skip Sundays or I'd skip Saturday on Sunday or, or I'd only sit for five minutes or I'd just, like, I was just, you know – I was dedicated. I just, COVID has really prompted me to commit to that more fully. Um, Wow. And it's been really helpful. Um, And I also, like, I will get up, I will meditate, I will pull cards, I will journal for a bit if I feel compelled to. Um, There's usually, like, a candle lit, you know, and rocks around. Alchemizing. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Things of that nature. Um, And, yeah, having a dog has given me a lot of um, schedule and structure. Like, having another being whose needs I need to care for while living in an apartment 
um, is, you know, like we go out first thing in the morning. And I've actually heard that like getting out and having fresh air on your face first thing in the morning can be really good for people who struggle with depression and anxiety, mm -hmm. which I also have a history of. So, um, you know, morning dog walks, morning coffee, like these are non-negotiable things, you know, um, and do help me prepare for the day ahead. And I've recently told even my East Coast clients that I, I don't have meetings before 9am my time. Like, I'm like, I hope you can deal with it because, you know, I know that's noon your time or whatever it is. I'm terrible at math and the time zones. But um, yeah, I I need like an hour to settle into my brain and I need to be in my emails a little bit before I can like get on the phone or get on Zoom and talk with someone and, and hold space for their work. Um, I totally get that. Yeah. So um, I'm also really struggling, not struggling. I am also practicing creating space between meetings. Um, and I have recently said that I'm not taking on any new clients for the rest of the year, which is a really big deal. And I'm like really um, minimizing the amount of client sessions I have in November and December so that I can focus on some trainings I'm enrolled in and some writing that I want to do because apparently I guess I'm a writer, which yes, is... Yes, <laughs> you are. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'll own it. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of like also end of the day, like after a work is done, if I don't have some sort of movement practice, whether that's like a workout of some kind or a yoga practice or a dog walk, um, I will always shower at the end of my work day. Mm. I feel like showers are like, whether I've moved my body in sweat or not, like I need to like clear the energy and clear my brain and prepare myself for like relaxing and you know, that feels really effective for me. I almost always put on music after I get out of the shower and like, you know, transition into evening time. Um, and yeah, I try to read before going to bed. That doesn't always work, but I have become very committed to not bringing my phone into bed with me. Uh. Like, I will keep it on the bedside table, but I'm not like, when I get into bed, I am not opening Instagram. Like I'm, wow. I am not checking my email after 7 PM and I'm not opening Instagram and I'm pretty firm about that. And that feels really important. That's um, huge. I mean, that's any article you read about good sleep hygiene. That's like the first thing. <laughs> and I, you know, I've struggled with sleep, uh, like for five years now, like really since I left that, um, difficult relationship, I'll just say in the, in this moment. Um, like mm -hmm. I've just gone through periods where like, I don't sleep or I'll sleep for a few hours and then I'll wake up and then I'll be up for like four hours or I can't mm -hmm. fall asleep. Um, sometimes it lasts for weeks. Sometimes it lasts for months. It's usually often around the same time of year, which was when I like woke up to the reality of that relationship and decided to leave like yeah. every time at that year or rather every year at that time, I will go through a period of like really challenging sleep. So yeah, I'm trying to like figure out what is best to lend my body and brain towards, you know, down regulation. Um, yeah. And yeah, getting off Instagram and not checking my email. I mean, it is the worst when you check your email at like 7.30 or 8. And Ugh. there's something that comes in that just like does not feel good. Um, yes. And like, it doesn't do me any good to read it at that time of night. It's going to be the same in the morning. And I'll probably have more capacity to respond much more skillfully in the morning. So like, yeah, just creating some boundaries around that. Like, as I'm saying this to you, I'm like, I do have work-life boundaries. <laughs> hey, you actually sound like you have 
really healthy ones. Um, I'm also, uh, if it's okay to ask, what time of year did that relationship end? I left in January, but I decided to leave in December. So it's like the new year moment. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. And I am, yeah, I'm convinced we carry anniversaries in our bodies. And oh, a hundred percent. Especially yeah. if you're a highly sensitive person. Yep. Like, I don't know about you, but I fucking hate my birthday. It's like always a fraught yes. thing. Yeah. Like, cause it's a reminder, first of all, that I'm getting closer to death, but also, yeah, like I'll, or I'll be having a weird day in, in June and I'll be like, oh yeah, my grandma died on this day seven years ago. You know, yep. our bodies are so smart. It's true. And I, it didn't even occur to me until this past winter season where I was like, wow, this has been happening four years in a row or whatever it was. And mm-hmm. I was like, what happened around this time of year? And it was just like, oh, duh. Oh, <laughs> this happened again where I would like for the entire month of September into October, I feel like this grief emerged around a friendship that ended mm-hmm. this time last year. And I'm like, why am I grieving this again? Like, I know that grief like healing is not a linear process and we are going to go through ups and downs, but it just felt like it came out of nowhere. And then I remember that it was this time last year that I was working through that initial feeling of loss. And mm-hmm. I just, I, yeah, we carry that shit in our bodies. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If anyone listening is familiar, um, Cheryl Paul is someone whose work I reference all the time. Um, I don't know this name. Her, she got famous because she wrote a book called the conscious bride back in like the early two thousands, late nineties and was on Oprah, but okay. she, her whole thing is like conscious transitions that I think that's the name of her business. Um, I actually did a little bit of client work for her for a little bit. Um, she's a lovely, super warm, radiantly kind person, but, um, she has so much writing on how sensitive people process like anniversaries and even just a change of seasons or Sunday night into Monday or like the sun going down. I mean, all of it, it's, we're so tapped into, and I'm saying we, I'm, I don't know if you identify as a high. I do. Yes. I'm like, I like you. Yeah. I also, I had a therapist in college at like one of the moments of my most like depressed mental health states who handed me a book called like something about highly sensitive people or the highly sensitive person or something. And I was was, just like, Oh, Elaine Aaron, I think. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 And there's one about like HSPs and relationships. I mean, you can go down a whole rabbit hole of this, but yeah, like we're just so, we're already so close to that core. Like it's almost painful how beautiful and horrific life is at the same yep. time. We're so connected to that. And then transitions just remind us of it. And it's so oh, true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of, I'm grateful though for that trade. I think it makes us responsive to the times. I think it makes us better at the work we do more compassionate, all that good stuff. Yeah. I really feel that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lauren, it's been a pleasure to hear more about your background and I really appreciate your sharing so vulnerably and so honestly. And I hope that it offers some listeners a little bit of reassurance or inspiration. Like I think as we said in the last conversation that we had with, it's like, things get messy and then you figure them out and you don't know where it's going. And then somehow here you are. And I mean, it's yeah. just, it's really awesome to hear about like all the different turns that your path has taken and the way that your um, healing has intersected with your professional evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, thank oh, you. 
Thank you. That means so much to hear that reflected back. And yes, like there's any one takeaway, it's that the shit is messy and it stays messy. And like, you don't have to be perfect before you just show up and fucking do whatever it is that you're feeling called to do. Hell yeah. 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 Okay, friends. Yeah. Thank you. And we'll talk to you again soon, everyone. Take care. Death, 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 death